mechanics of resilience, adaptability, and social intelligence. We'll look at our power to control and modify how we use our hands, voices, bodies, breath, and the intelligent systems of our cells, bones, and muscles to unlock our potential as a cooperative and brilliant species. Thanks for joining. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 11. In this episode, I interview Brian Flynn of the Two Wolf Foundation. It's an organization that I find really inspiring and has a lot of elements that many of us could explore in terms of adding different things to our own lives, or if we work with others, different dimensions to a journey of growth, personal growth, personal development. Specifically with Tool Foundation, they work with veterans who have already gone through some phases of treatment for post-traumatic stress. And they take them on these epic adventures to incredibly beautiful landscapes and national parks uh, within the U.S., And they work on a mission. They work on a project together outside in the fresh air, helping to conserve land and contribute to conservation efforts, particularly in those parks. And there are so many incredible and powerful aspects that we talk about within the interview. But I do want to just highlight a couple of things. I'm going to try and keep this intro a bit shorter than usual. So the first is that I think it's really important for more of us to understand and explore the realm of the veteran world. And I say that for a few reasons. The first is that I think that understanding veterans and their experiences, I think it would be really helpful for society if more of us could understand a lot of what happens within those communities because there's so many layers to it and there's a few things one is that there's a very very long history of studying post-traumatic stress particularly in the veteran community that's where it all started a lot of people talk about that book the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk and That was his origins as well, was with the veterans. The very first anecdote of his book is about a veteran. There is a lot that happens within the nervous system as people are exposed to the kinds of situations that many veterans have been exposed to. And although a lot of us won't go through those kinds of scenarios, I think that the the extreme kinds of situations and how they impact the nervous system and how those effects are very prolonged and long-term and don't fade away when they are not serving anymore, that something happens as they return home. I think there's something really important for us to understand about that. And another reason for that is that it affects all of us. It affects all of us intergenerationally and globally because war has always been there. And whether we know it or not, and whether it's direct or not, many of us have some kind of relationship with somebody who has served and who may have been experiencing a lot of what has been studied in terms of post-traumatic stress that we don't realize affected the people around them. And this is where The research that has been going on for such a long time on post-traumatic stress and particularly in veterans, there are so many evolutions that have happened and a lot of nuance that is coming much more to the surface now in terms of our understanding of all this, which helps us understand trauma in general, 
what happens to people when certain things happen or decisions have to be made. And I talk about some of these nuances in one of the episodes in season two on moral injury, because there is a difference between post-traumatic stress and moral injury. Moral injury being more about regret and loss and grief and different decisions that have been made and different brain networks that get involved in that as well. But the other part of all of this understanding of what veterans have gone through and how that affects their lives and the people around them for potentially the rest of their lives, there is a a biomechanics to it as well. When there are different experiences, whether they're visual, auditory, visceral, moral, psychological, etc., when those kinds of things are happening to us and our senses have perceived things in a certain way, all of that has an effect on the skeletal muscular movements that we then use to transmit signals out to the people around us and our ability to regulate our internal systems. And all of that gets manifested into different behaviors that affect all the people around that one person and that person themselves. So we go a bit more into the psychosocial aspects of all of that in this episode, but I just want to highlight the importance of understanding and having maybe more people think about the veteran community and the different things they have gone through because it's so global, it is so intergenerational, and there are so many neurobiomechanics that happen within those kinds of situations that really affect how we talk, our voice, how we express ourselves, our facial expressions, what people suppress, what their brain networks are doing, the amount of rumination that might happen, the inability to put words to feelings. All of those kinds of things are are things that do get affected by trauma. And they're all things that have been very robustly studied in the research that has been done on veterans. And we talk a lot about the the kinds of things that can really help on journeys where people have gone through something, they have endured something really big and heavy and need to find meaning in their life and need to find healthy connections. So a lot of our conversation revolves around around that. And then one other piece that we also touch on is the idea of a mission mindset, mission planning and mission mindset. And I love that. And just a couple of things that we talk about there is the idea that when there is a sense of a mission, there is a way of using our, our mind and our attention that focuses on how we care for a larger system beyond ourselves how we care for others, how their well-being really matters in terms of that mission, as well as our own well-being. And I think that's a really important lesson for a lot of us to think about. And the another really powerful part that comes out in the interview is how important it is for there to be also a planning and preparation for things to go wrong. And that is included in that mission planning, mission mindset, where we have this preparatory type of thinking of contingencies and redundancies and how we can build ourselves up and have foresight as well as a lot of flexible responsiveness when things don't go as planned. And the more we work out those systems, the more resilient we become. So there's so much depth and wisdom that comes from this interview. In the first few minutes, there are some audio challenges. (laughs) So I've edited them out as best as I could but you might hear some of that. I really hope that you enjoy this episode. It feels very special to me. What they are doing within that organization is very much an inspiration for me as I continue to explore possibilities of the next phase of my journey and my career, where I would love to have the same kind of flavor in terms of bringing people together outdoors, outside, this type of mission, resilience, and mindset, and journey of self-growth and personal development, and combining all of that together with, with different teams and 
a sense of community. So I hope you get a chance to check out their work, Two Wolf Foundation, and we'll talk more about it throughout this episode. And I have links on the episode page as well. So thank you again for joining me. There's so much I love from your website that I'll try and pick out as as we're talking. Connection to self, to nature, to tribe. I love that. And then the post-traumatic growth stuff, which I think is so relevant to so many people. In going through my mind, different topics to talk about. The post-traumatic growth side is something that is of the most importance in everything that, you know, we're doing as that I'm doing with this organization. Yeah. But it becomes really hard to find those ways to integrate those messages appropriately and with with substance and context mm-hmm. uh, in a way that I mean I, that, that won't turn people away that won't just yeah. you know yes. make them feel uncomfortable uh, and say yes. hey we can talk about the negative experiences the struggles the you know the encountering trauma in your life we can also look at it through the lens of post-traumatic growth and say, hey, with the appropriate understanding of it, it doesn't have to all be bad. I really love the mission of what you were doing and just the, the authenticity that I feel from everything that you put out and the importance of this topic of talking about journeys and transformation and growth. So thank you for being here. I would love to start with your journey, how you got to where you are right now, why two wolf and just whatever you want to share. I mean, I think it, you know, I'm still learning how to best tell my own story, but uh, everything arriving at the initiation or the creation of Two Wolf Foundation uh, obviously started with my enlistment into the military and was just looking at a calendar the other day. I, I entered the army in 2003, 20 years ago, just after we invaded Iraq and across the berm. And it turned out that within about a year or so, I found myself right where I wanted to be, which was in Iraq and and contributing to the effort and also discovered two things that I was I was good at being a soldier. It just fit my personality and and mindset. And then war was something that just consumed me. I, I, I was fascinated by the idea of being fully invested in a mission and a purpose. And at that time in my life, it, you know, it became everything, you know, day in and day out, having that pride of being a service member and being committed to, you know, protecting the interests and values of the United States. And in that process, 12 years of active duty service and uh, ended up becoming a United States Army Green Beret. So served in the Special Forces Regiment. And worked with a lot of really incredible human beings, uh, was on some pretty fantastic teams, went through in my time in SF, three additional deployments, two more to Iraq and I'm sorry, three more to Iraq and one to Afghanistan over the course of a five year span. And then ended up going through a very difficult divorce while in Afghanistan in 2012 and ultimately made the decision that my daughter needed me more than the army did. And I made the decision to separate back in 2014. It seemed like overnight, my entire identity, everything that had fueled me purpose-wise in life was was gone. I had a buffer in there because I was doing everything that I could to protect my young daughter and, and pursue ensuring that she had every opportunity that she deserved in life. So again, that mission mindset was kicking in and I had something to, you know, to work for. And then ultimately 
my daughter came to live with me. We had, you know, achieved the mission. And then all of a sudden there was this tidal wave of like, okay, what do I do now? And in that process, I had a lot of friends that I watched from the outside that were still serving, began to really struggle with just fatigue and exhaustion from the deployment after deployment. And then with my peer group, those guys were nearing retirement. And I began to see a lot of really close friends begin to struggle in a way that I think we thought was impossible. Uh, you know, we were the invincible Green Berets, sports guys that could take on the world. And now back at home, uh, there was just immense struggle and difficulty. And I began to feel some of that myself. I ended up going into a, a program, a training program called Warrior Path, which was uh, progressive and alternative training for healing heroes offered by the Boulder Crest Foundation. A good friend of mine had gone through this program and, and I had watched the transition. I had watched the change in his life based on the education and the training that he had received. I went to participate in it myself. And ultimately what it was, was it was a post-traumatic growth curriculum, seven days long and explores all elements of living in the aftermath of trauma and how to transform that struggle into strength and ultimately giving you the opportunity to change your perspective on the experiences that you've gone through and finding the incredible gifts that have come from enduring such you know, significant struggle. After, well, now 20 years of investing my life into the military and being a part of that community and tribe, that separation left this huge gap and hole in my life. And I watched it vaporizing relationships of best friends and teammates and guys I had served with. And ultimately, post-traumatic growth includes an element. One of the domains is, is closer relationships. And I realized that was there something that I could be doing that was enabling, promoting, and supporting, strengthening the tribe? And Two Wolf Foundation, through its multitude of different concept development periods, became the idea of a continued engagement and support platform for individuals that have already begun to make the changes in their lives. So that was something I saw also from your site is that it is something designed for people who have already gone through some form of treatment. Yeah, mm -hmm. for uh, I'm not a big reinvent the wheel type of guy. And I also recognize the incredible value in a lot of the treatments, programs, and opportunities, resources that exist across the country to support the warrior community. But ultimately, what I saw was a, was a, was a lack of continued engagement. And understanding that so much of our world now is technology driven, there's an app for that <laughs> that didn't that didn't fly with me. And so I wanted something tangible. I wanted something real, and I wanted something that brought people back together that had a shared understanding in both experience, education, training, awareness, awareness of their journey and where they're at in it, and give our tribe an opportunity to come together and have that peer to peer support. Mm -hmm. And then the reintroduction of service. And that is, yeah. you know, that was really what drove Two Wolf Foundation's creation was creating an opportunity to serve again. And, and our focus is on land stewardship of U.S. public lands. There's so much in there that I, I want to dive into. Um, and definitely the, the warrior path aspect, the post-traumatic growth. I think something to relate to on my end is... First, the idea of there are people that can go through a certain kind of treatment, but it's the after part that also really, really matters. And I feel like that's missing from all, just the entire field of mental health. I worked in an intensive outpatient clinic for a few years and, you know, we were, it was really intensive and they were there for a long time and they did make progress, but there was no next step for them. And the other piece that I thought and is so powerful about, about what you're doing that I really see missing 
from mental health a lot is this idea of a purpose and this, what you've kind of touched on, like I, I always use the word self-transcendent, but this purpose beyond the self. There's a couple of things that are so important about that. The first is with, for example, in the mental health clinics that I've worked at, we did a lot of diving deep into the origins, you know, their origin story, why they react the way they do. And that is, we need that. I feel like we have to understand that our past kind of keeps coming up and is filtering how we're perceiving the present. So it's really important to go into that. The only thing that I see with a lot of mental health stuff is that if you keep doing that and you don't have this why, you don't have this bigger thing you're reaching for. I almost see see it like a plant, like that has to reach towards the sunlight. If you don't have that thing that you keep, you're, you're doing this for, it's very hard to keep the motivation going because you're kind of, you're diving in, you're going into your past, but without that sense of purpose, I feel like there's this lack of striving that starts to happen in a lot of the, I was working a lot with emerging adults, which is like 18 to 25, but I've seen it across the lifespan. They can't, it doesn't always feel worth it because like they'll dive deep and they'll go into this and, and then something happens again, but they don't, they don't have this bigger reason as to why they're trying to heal. And I feel like that is part a very big part of what you are doing. And then the other piece that I think is also so important is that idea of community, that idea of group and that bonding. And we, I always say we're mammals. Like we mammals are co-regulating. We are hyper social species. If we don't have that sense of, kind of tribe or team or family, we're missing something that is so built into our DNA. We're not reptiles. Reptiles can do it. <laughs> Actually, there's some evidence of some reptiles are kind of family oriented, but we're mammals. So the other piece that I also saw missing from a lot of mental health clinics and, and treatments is that idea of community also, that everyone's kind of, they're doing it on their own. They do that treatment. There's some bonding that happens during that. But then afterwards, they go back to their previous circles of friends yeah. as well, which can be really detrimental to their growth. They're not around people who are absolutely devoted and dedicated to growth, and they believe in that ability. So I feel like that's a lot of what your organization brings to people because you're bringing people that have already gone through treatment, which means they already have a mindset of, I know I can heal. I know I can grow. I, I know I can evolve. And now you've amplified that energy with other people that are coming together to do that. I think that's so powerful. I think it's a model for other people to, to think about that you have people coming together that have that growth mindset. They know it's possible and they've already put in some time. They're already on that path. think that one of the most impacting factors with regard to training or treatment and making a decision that says whatever it is that I've been doing is not working and now I'm ready to implement or seek change and growth and we with the veteran community is you know the community that I can speak from experience with is of all the available resources out there you go and you seek treatment you seek help and that's a that's an incredible step. Yeah. And while in that environment, you have the awareness, you have the mindset of what you're there to do. You're there to examine your past experiences. You're there to break down barriers that you've been hiding behind with regard to isolation, perhaps self-medication, mm-hmm. a, yeah. a numbing the noise and the fear and the anxiety and and whatever it is that's limiting you being the best version of yourself. So in that environment, you're fully invested. When you come out of those experiences and you go back home and the daily stressors begin to pile up, whether it's family, if it's employment, job, the community, the people that you surround yourself with, if you're Mm -hmm. surrounded by negative influencers, you come out of that healthy space. Yeah. 
resurround yourself with negativity and, and toxicity. Yeah. And the growth made begins to become eroded. Yeah. And ultimately in the development of why two wolf foundation was necessary, I looked at it like an oil change. It was its maintenance for that growth process and a transition to positively influencing our self perception through the service aspect, contributing to a cause, being a part of a team and having a mission in the accomplishment of that, there is this renewed sense of self and strength and ability that I think is missing in the, in that clinical and non-clinical environment where a lot of understanding is taking place, but now what about action? Yes. And then the other side of our model is that eventually we have to transition from being a patient to being a person again, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. label wise, mindset wise, the, how we perceive ourselves to the world if we're constantly, you know, just investing in this idea of, um, you know, I'm working at it, I'm a patient, I'm going to therapy, I'm talking to this person, I'm reading this book, uh, you know, how do we make that transition to, hey, I, I've arrived at a moment where I feel I'm a contributing member to my family, to my community, to my employer, whatever it is. And so Two Wolf, our Warrior Stewardship pro- program is just like a microcosm of initiating those feelings. Mm, Amazing. So many parallels with what I have seen, because I've been working in mental health for a very long time, school counselor, and then these other clinics is you can sometimes see an addiction to therapy, in a sense, because it's a safe zone where you're just constantly reflecting and you're around that. And that's good for a certain to a certain degree. But exactly what you're saying that I think is missing a lot of times, and that's where I see people get kind of stuck, is when they keep going into the therapy kind of model and the the self-reflection, but they're not transforming that, transmuting it into action. And action always involves, to me, there's, there's a mechanics to it. There's always a transfer of something that is inside you into a movement, whether it's your voice or writing or doing there's like a transfer into some kind of like kinetic type of energy. And that's what I'd see often missing is there's a lot of talking and thinking constantly. And if you think about even our brain networks, like there's a lot of almost hyperactivity of that without people making new movements to do something new. And that's the only way as a feedback system, the only possible way for our brain to change in that sense is there has to be a feedback of I do this movement, whether it's I say something in a new way, I move in a new way, I do something new, then I get the feedback back and I process it and I can make adjustments. But if we stay in our mind constantly, we're not transferring that out to get the feedback back in. That's what I feel like what you're doing. There's a few things happening. There's the feedback that's coming from being in these groups where you're talking and you're surrounding yourself with people who are growth oriented so that that feedback that comes back is creating like a reinforcing positive feedback loop of, yes, we can keep doing this here. We'll adjust here. We'll make new movements. We'll try new things. We'll contribute. And then the other part too is there's a mechanical movement that you are also adding to what they're doing because they're using tools, they're touching the ground. There's a transfer of that energy outward. And that I think is also extremely missing from society today. I think we have build up because our systems, every time we get stressed, whether it's through a thought, seeing something on social media or the news or whatever, it does have an effect. These are frequencies that enter our senses. And they create like an increase in heart rate that some cortisol gets, a lot of cortisol is happening for a lot of people all the time in levels that shouldn't be there. That increases molecular energy inside. Like there's a speeding up of everything that's happening. If that just stays and you don't release it in some way, your your body just keeps reading this hyped up energy. And then it tries to solve the problem in its own mind which is, oh, I better think about that. Oh, I better analyze that. I better think back to this. I better do this. So it's creating these like high frequency, emergency solving problem kind of frequencies in our body, our brainwaves. 
if we don't find a way to bring it out into the world and release some of that energy, that's where I think it gets very stuck inside. And we actually see that from a mammalian strategy. Mammals always have some sort of kinetic release of energy. So we see it with, if you capture, they've, they've done different studies on this, but uh, a polar bear in mid-run, you know, if they're doing some conservation studies and they tranquilize it, it always finishes the run even after it's tranquilized. So there is a need to release, like it's called yeah. biological completion, where we have to kind of complete different movements. That's what I see doesn't happen in a lot of self-help and mental health is you're building up and you're thinking and you're reflecting or also the stressors of life, but you're not transferring that energy outward. And it, that really needs to happen. That's the other thing that I think is very cool about what you're doing is you have this these feedback systems that are happening. You have the, the growth-minded type of feedback from the verbal. That's really important because what you were saying too is we, we have people around us that just don't believe growth is possible, that you just are the way you are. And they see people in kind of a lesser evolved state. If we keep being around those people, then as we send out signals, they send it back. It just keeps internalizing into the algorithms of, I guess, change is not possible. But when we're around people like who you have in your programs, that's that form of feedback. And then you also have that transfer of, you know, whatever's happening stressful wise or even positive energy wise, it's getting pushed into something. And something that actually materializes on the physical plane. Sorry, I'm going into a little bit of a tangent, oh, yeah. but it's just <laughs> so much of what you're doing is so powerful because the other really important part of transferring stuff from inside out and seeing it kind of manifested on the plane, on this like physical dimension, is that we're actually changing our level of consciousness because when we are always self-focused, it's first person first person kind of sub subject. I'm the subject. So we're always thinking about ourselves. What, how does that affect me? How does that person see me? What is my stress level? As soon as you transfer something out, that thing, let's say whatever that energy was, positive or negative, it now becomes the object of your consciousness. So now you have a real chance to examine it in a very different way than when it's stuck inside your mind. And there's totally different brain networks, totally different brain frequencies associated with this, like this external focus versus internal. That's also even where the narrative, like when we write our stories out, having it on a page to look at or saying the story out to somebody also puts it out there where if they're there to hear it, we now have like a way to see it as an object outside of us. It doesn't have to be trapped inside of us all the time. Some of the things that you discussed there, the physicality of it. One of the things that I that was given recognition during our first Warrior Stewardship project, Team 001 went on an 1,100-mile trip from Montana to Arizona. Yeah. And we worked with the Arizona Trail Association and their veteran engagement and trail stewardship program. And in the course of our time out on this National Scenic Trail and contributing to the improvement of that trail system, we're swinging pickaxes, we're digging, shoveling dirt. And I, there were several moments captured in there where you talk about the physicality, the release, the tangible, the moment that all of your energy yeah. and that you're committing to is being laid out in that one moment. And yeah. it, it was pretty wow. incredible. Number wow. two was positive energy, the amassing of pos positive energy. Our programming is is small team focused, and it only encompasses a total of six individuals, six team members. And over the course of the first program, the first trip was 11 days long. Amassing a positive energy and the ability to look outward rather than constantly reflecting inward on what is it that I'm doing that I'm messing something up or I'm not doing what I know I should be doing. Uh, there was 
there was an immediate effort amongst the team when you're looking out for the welfare of others. Every other person that's on the team, all of your effort is invested into the benefit of the team, of the other individuals that you're serving with, whether it's cooking in camp, cleaning and cleaning up afterwards, ensuring that people have the appropriate gear that they need for the day, water's topped off, and you see it not just being this selfish, inward-focused effort for the, like, what do I need to do today? It was, yeah. it was genuine concern and commitment to each other to ensure that the team's success was maximized. The third was this idea of new experience, new emotion, new, mm. just new, yeah. new to you, right? In that yeah. moment, the landscapes and yeah. being focused into this natural world exploring the public lands of the West. And in that process of the first team, the, the team camped in, I think, three different national forests and, and one Bureau of Land Management public land access area. But for the entirety of the experience, everything was new. New mountain ranges, new rivers and creeks and different types of bio, you know, spheres that we, that we were passing through. Wow. And you just saw it captivate and excite. You know, draw up this excitement. And so those are, those are moments that we hope create this idea that because of the experience that we had, now there's these new opportunities to go and commit to new possibilities. Yeah. If I went and experienced this thing and it was incredible, what could I get myself into next? And that growth mindset begins to kick in. What is necessary? What do I need to do to yeah. catch that again? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, so many more points I want to keep touching on. But just to come back to the what you were just talking about with this idea of wonder and awe, I do think that's missing for a lot of people. There's, there's definitely research on that too of how that expands our mind in very powerful ways. And I think with nature, a really big part of that is everything else that we see is designed by humans. And so everything else is a concept. And there's some kind of goal in a sense of so many things that we're interacting with in terms of city life or just man-made structures and systems. Nature has this aspect to it of we get to interact with these systems that are so interrelated with so many other massive, eternally evolving systems that are, are just constantly adjusting, adapting, and, and growing like that. So I think interacting with nature, there's something very powerful about what happens to the brain because of that aliveness and that that interactions. There, there's also research on how nature helps us get out of rumination. But I do think what what's important about what you're doing here too is like, I think some people can go into nature and they're still stuck in their mind. So they're still ruminating all the time. So that's where having these projects and this idea that you're doing this with an intentionality to it. You're going out to be with other people, but to also help your own journey to move out of how you're normally using your mind when you go out into nature. Because I think a lot of people will go for a walk, but then they're just, you know, completely stuck inside. Yeah. So there's still a little bit of that, this beautiful dance of you have people who have done some of the inward reflection. They've gone, they've, that, there's that contemplative aspect that they've touched on already, which a lot of people have not in their life. But then that beautiful outward focus, too, of dancing between those two. That's something I know for me, I want my next phase is just so much more time outdoors and really helping people get in touch with that, even if they can have feet, you know, bare feet on the ground or bare hands in the dirt to be in touch with these incredibly alive systems. I think that also is really important for society and especially these upcoming generations to be out there more, to be integrating themselves with these living systems that are not 
asking for their attention. They're not there for profit because it, our attention is getting pulled like yeah. in a magnetic way constantly by, and we all know profit, right? Or attention, really. It's an attention economy at this point. So it, it's constantly being drawn. But when you go out in nature, there is no tree that's wanting to make money off you. So you now have this agency over your attention. You get to pick. There's not an algorithm that's trying to draw you in. Other than, I mean, biologically, movement and light tend to draw our attention, which is actually what all the devices have capitalized on. But in nature, there's just like an openness to that attention that you can have. Another thing with nature that a lot of people don't think about is there's these low frequency sounds that are constantly being emitted in more of our industrialized society. And that actually, uh, there's books from a long time ago of people that talked about noise and how it affects our internal systems. But those low frequency sounds, they do have an effect on our nervous system and can keep it in a state of a little bit more of that stress because low vibration it has bone conduction, which is kind of associated in our body with predator, with anything large that creates big, massive movements. So our system is generally geared towards keeping its attention open for that. And when you're in nature, if you can get far enough away, you're removing some of those base frequencies. And that is so soothing for the nervous system. There's something so healing in nature. And part of it is the auditory, the acoustics of it, which I think is so beautiful. That setting also makes it much easier for people to, because we have these middle ear muscles that tense in order to really tune into human voice as if there's competing frequencies that are lower it's very hard to do that and also people who have experienced trauma tend to have some issues sometimes with those middle ear muscles so going out to a setting where they don't have to have these competing low frequencies will also help them with tuning in a little bit better to human voice which is very very regulating for the nervous system so there's a lot of interplay happening with going out in nature too that I think is so powerful about what you're doing. The other thing I, I want to just touch on too is this idea of prefrontal cortex models, which is the other aspect that I think you're bringing in to this organization, which is when you have people who are committed to this sense of growth and to going on like a journey together where you're planning, you're planning the, the food, you're planning the, the transport. There's so much foresight, future projection. Also pattern recognition, because you have to understand like weather and all that. There's so much of this prefrontal to me, executive functioning prefrontal cortex neural networks that are getting fired that is really, really important for stress regulation or how we make new choices constantly. So having that element, I think, is also really powerful where they're planning a trip. They're planning stuff like that. They're thinking ahead for the day of what they're going to need. That also is so I think missing for, from a lot of mental health and self-growth kind of stuff. And I, I love that you bring that in. And then there's, there's a way to transfer all that planning into an actual something that they see happen in the world, which also gives them this sense of agency that when I do this thing, I actually see a result. Something happens, something actually changes in this world because of my growth and my strength and my choice to act in that way. So powerful. And the other side of that would be that investing into, I mean, we would just label it as mission planning. You recognize that you have an activity that needs to, you know, that needs to be accomplished. We go into a mission planning mindset and we're, you know, all those cylinders are firing and you're assessing and evaluating your needs, your requirements, yeah. the impacts of, like you said, weather and time and day or night. But the construct that no matter how much planning you invest into something, something's always going to go wrong. Mm, love that. And so as a team within Warrior Stewardship, the recognition or at least having a an awareness that regardless of the amount of planning that we invest into this, and we're going to do our due diligence, 
it may not go as planned mm. and we may encounter obstacles. We may Love encounter that. struggles. Love that. So just as in life, as a team, you have this support network that, sur- that is working together to accomplish the mission, to accomplish the goal. We, we will do the same. And it's reinforcing those habits of adaptability and resiliency and being able to accept that bad things are going to happen. Yeah. Regardless of the amount of work that we're doing, bad stuff's still going to continue to take place in our lives. Things are not going to go as planned and how we manage that, how we respond to those situations. And that's another big part of my experience with Warrior Path. They're big. They're, you know, one of the pieces of language that they use is, is learning how to respond rather than react. Mm, um, yeah. So love it. Being given an opportunity to be in a position to have to manage that is, is practice, right? I mean, mm-hmm. everything we do with, with regard to our growth, every decision we make, every choice, every opportunity we're given to test how well we're doing is, is training. It's, practice and life. I mean, we're just, you know, we're in a constant state of practicing being the best versions of ourselves that we can be. There's a couple concepts that come up for me as you say that, which actually touches on the the last element I, I think I wanted to cover, which is having a different viewpoint of challenge instead of seeing it as something negative, seeing it as something that actually does build resilience, which sounds very cliche. Everyone kind of talks about that now. But um, if if we're looking at it from whether we're thinking of a system or the nervous system or actually very literally the brain, the only way that it actually does grow, where it actually builds new connections and adaptability, very much what you're saying, this adaptability, which is multiple paths always available. Yes. The, mo- the more possibilities and paths available, the more resilient a system becomes, which is very different than you repeat, you re- which is react. You act again and again in the same way. That's a reaction. So it's just the same path, same path, same path. As soon as you have that sense of challenge where it's like you tried this path and you get blocked, that's beautiful for the brain because the brain says, oh, that's, that's not creating what, what we want. We now have to build branches that go into new networks that, you know, like that keep building these new connections in order to see multiple possibilities. And they, they can also call that pathway thinking where you're seeing multiple paths. And multiple explanations, multiple moves you can make, and they're all available to you that you can make many different kinds of moves based on whatever is happening. That is the ultimate of a resilient system. It's feedback responsiveness, which means it's detecting what's happening, whether we can call it good or bad, challenge, threat, opportunity. We usually go in terms of threat or opportunity. It's detecting what's happening and it's constantly able to adjust to what happens next. And there's many, many different paths. And that comes from having something that is beyond our current resources. So I like to talk about this idea of even trauma or stress is what is available from a neural or behavioral aspect. What's, what is available to us in a moment? If something happens and we don't know how to do it, That means that we don't have the behavioral resources available yet, which means, this is the beautiful part, which means if we want to move forward, we have to build the resources somehow. So that's where our brain can seek support from other people, but also new ways of thinking that help us achieve whatever that is. So this idea of struggle that I I love that you brought up that as you're doing this mission type of mindset, you are foreseeing that there's going to be challenges and that it won't go the way you necessarily want it to go. And instead of seeing that as something we want to avoid, we actually do want to, we want to go into that because as we do, as things don't go as planned, that actually is, those are the moments. Those are the moments where 
just like what you're saying, like you get this adaptation that happens. And just the fact that you plan and doesn't go well, and then you have this adaptation that transfers, that skill transfers to daily life, where now you have some networks available that are saying, oh, there's always another way. Wait, there's something else I can do. I can adapt. I can adopt a new strategy. It's kind of like a mindset. To me, it's circuitries and algorithms, internal working models, or you could call that mindset. It's this idea that, wow, I thought this conversation was going to go really well. If you already have some algorithms in place saying, okay, when things don't go well, yeah, my heart rate goes up, I get really stressed or I get really frustrated. And then I do something new that helps me kind of achieve a different, that same kind of internal knowledge happens when we go into our daily life as well where this is not going the way I wanted it to go. (laughs) But instead of reading your system, reading that as, okay, we're going to repeat what we always do or shut down, it actually has a chance to say, oh, there might be something else I can do here, some way to adjust. So I love that idea of foreseeing that things don't always go as planned and that challenges and disruptions are moments of growth. They really are opportunities for us to grow. The five domains of post-traumatic growth, one of them is new possibilities. Mm. And you know, as, as, you, as I was sitting there listening to you and we talk about almost in some way, you know, encountering struggle or uh, a setback or something that doesn't go the way that we, well, expectation is a huge killer, I think, mm. in, in our daily positive mindset. If yeah. we're always establishing an expectation of something to be a certain way, but Regardless of that, when specifically trauma or deep, deep struggle, when you're in it, I mean, there's not really, when you're in it, you're in it and it hurts and it sucks and it's miserable through that process. I would say that the most beneficial aspect of like a post-traumatic growth or a growth mindset is that at some point on the backside of it or on your way through it, If you have the awareness or the mindset of what is now possible because of what I failed at, because of what happened to me, the, the, the trauma, I mean, Mm -hmm. specifically talking about trauma, this Mm -hmm. thing that I endured or this thing that happened around me to me or to somebody that I loved or cared about, if that had not happened, what would I be looking at right now? Mm-hmm. And that's where the adaptation of the, or the idea of a new possibilities, if this thing doesn't go the way that we have an expectation that it should, none of these other opportunities in life would have presented themselves. And you've yeah. got to have some gratitude for that, or you yeah. got to be able to give it some recognition. Yeah. And when you give it recognition, then there's that empowerment. Okay. Yeah. The thing that I went through that almost destroyed me, mm-hmm. that made me feel the worst I've ever felt in my entire life that living with horror and shame, guilt and frustration, insecurity, getting through that now where I'm at, I see that none of that would have happened if it hadn't been for that negative experience that I had to endure. Mm, I love that. And on top of that, the fact that you did survive it is confirmation of what you were capable of surviving. And that's something that other people can then look to you to see that it's possible to go through something. I love the word endure. I've heard a few people say they want to try and get away from the word of trauma just because people associate it with maybe weakness or that's not what they went through. But I love the idea of things we've endured. That's such a great word because endurance then also has this idea of you endure it, but endurance is achieved by 
going through things and then adjusting and growing and keeping going. So I love that. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, for the individuals that get to that side of trauma, they get to that side of, you know, they get to a strength side or a growth side of those experiences, recruiting or organizing these warrior stewardship teams. You know, it is my hope that we have an opportunity for these individuals to be representations of inspiration and motivation for others to say like, okay, if that individual, if that person, I think I've done my entire life that way. If that person can do it, yeah. then so can I, right? If you, yep. if I see somebody else that's accomplished something that yeah. either fascinates me or was a goal, something that I wanted to experience, I said, well, if that person can do it, surely yeah. I, I can figure it out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in putting these teams together, the opportunity to inspire others to recognize that these individuals went through some really, really hard times. And we're talking, you know, suicidal ideation, alcohol or substance addiction or abuse to the point that I think the big two are isolation and Mm self-medication in an effort to just block out the rest of the world. And at some point just die, not have it matter or mean anything anymore. And now to have come through that and be committing to something again and serving in a way that, that matters is ultimately where we're trying to go. I love it. And I think to close what you are talking about to me is very reflective of the hero's journey, Mm -hmm. which there's Joseph Campbell who studied that through many different cultures that it's there. And there's often this element of being orphaned in the beginning, which is this idea of like closed off from everybody. You're, you're alone in that journey. There's, there's, you're just it. That's it. Um, but going through what you go through and then being able to carry that wisdom back to like a new world for you. I feel like that's what you are touching on when, when you're talking about all these things and the isolation and the self-medication, those are very reflective of that initial part of that hero's journey where you feel orphaned and sit like alone, you don't have that connection. And then you don't believe necessarily that you have internal resources to fix how you're feeling. So you use something external to do it. But as we go through this journey, we figure out that there's some internal resourcefulness that we can tap into, but also the connection to others that we can tap into. And I think that's also very, very important for people to really get in touch with is that we are mammals our nervous system has to have people and generally speaking, growth oriented, positive people. So, you know, we're talking about challenge and struggle, struggle, but we're also talking about repair. Like there's rupture and repair in all resilient systems. So we also need the repair side as well to not constantly bombarded with struggle and challenge. We also need those helping hands, those people that are there that we can, we know we can reach out to, to help us get through that. So. I love how many elements you bring in to your teachings and your content. Well, I think that, you know, the connection to others, a sense of belonging to a tribe. When we look at the, when we look at the warrior tribe, which, which encompasses the military veteran community, first responders, public safety, firefighters, EMS, these individuals that have committed to serve, you know, the welfare of their communities and their country. At the point that struggle presents itself in their lives and with the experiences that they've had, every bit of their place in the world has been part of a team, part of a unit, yeah. part of a group. Yeah. You enter that period of struggle where you lose that sense of purpose, the sense of identity and sense of belonging. By organizing these warrior stewardship trips and these small mission teams, the hope is and the, the emphasis behind it is that peer-to-peer support, peer-to-peer belonging and connection in my own personal experience was the most valuable asset in redirecting the trajectory of my life. Mm. It was the people that I was around. Yeah, absolutely. That idea also of not just people, but people who have some sense of a feeling of purpose, I think too, that you are contributing together. I think is also really powerful. There's an intentionality to their existence, kind of. Yeah, just beautiful. I'm very inspired by what you're doing. 
there's a reflection of what I hope to have a little bit more also from my work, where just so much more service and outdoors and that kind of sense of community. So still a long ways away from my vision, but I find what you are doing so incredibly inspiring for me as well. Is there anything you want to just leave people with as we close, like anything that just you want to share or about your organization or? Well, I mean, if people are interested in learning more about Two Wolf Foundation, our website address, twowolf.org, we put a pretty heavy emphasis on the use of social media, Instagram. I think that the true, to get a true sense of what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it, you can probably go to our Instagram page at Two Wolf Foundation and just look through the posts and the videos. And I think that gives the realest connection to an understanding of what it is that we're doing. And, you know, this year we're, we're a young organization. Last year was our first year and our pilot program ran from Montana to Arizona. This is only our second year. Oh, wow. Didn't know that. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And and we've committed to three warrior stewardship teams for 2023. So three different teams will be serving in three different states, serving public land. And we partnered with an organization called Tread Lightly. Mm, This is on responsible and ethical outdoor uh, recreation and stewardship and and, and land stewardship to preserve our access to these incredible places. So we partnered with them to do projects in Montana, Idaho, and Utah. And as young of an organization as we are, if you felt so compelled to invest into the journey of these teams, donations can be made on our website or uh, a campaign that we're running on the Instagram page. And just understand that if you do invest, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it means everything as young of an organization as we are and, yeah. and investing everything that I have into seeing this thing grow and, yeah. and take off. Every dollar matters yeah. and is greatly appreciated. But uh, this year is going to be incredible. And the teams that we're building to go and serve these public lands are incredible humans. And I I can't wait to continue to share the stories of their success and their growth and the journey we're all on and in this together. Yeah. That's going to be a really special part is sharing their journey of their stories. And I'll list all of that on my website as well. So thank you so much for joining me. And I really hope people will take a look. The Instagram has really beautiful videos as well. So Yeah, I hope what you're doing inspires people to reach out and also to understand their own needs as humans who have endured things and um, what kinds of things we can think about adding to mental health and self-growth, which to me very much includes this idea of being outdoors, getting in touch with nature, getting in touch with a tribe that is very growth-oriented. And having the sense of some kind of purpose that we're here to do something. We're here to contribute. That brings us out of those very slightly narcissistic, selfish networks that many of us are in and as human. Um, but it brings us out of that, which I think is very healing. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you for joining me for that episode with Brian. I have put links into the episode webpage for you to check out their work. And I am recording this now in Montana. And I'm not even going to share exactly where I live because I love it so much. And I don't really want a lot of other people to discover it (laughs) because it's beautifully serene and quiet. And I feel a sense of community around here as well. I'm so excited to go outside. There are no tall buildings around, which really has a a very nice effect on my brain, at least. And there's fishing down the street. So I'm going to be hoping to get into that this summer and joined a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym a a short distance away as well. I'm very excited about that. 
and many other different events that are coming up. And it's just a great new place for new beginnings and new adventures. And I am having a Q&A on May 18th, and that invitation was sent out to subscribers. I believe all the spots are filled now, but I will likely hold another one at some point. So make sure to subscribe to my website, my newsletter, if you'd like to hear about things like that. And there will be more to come. And thank you so much again for joining me and leaving any reviews, as well as whatever comments you have uh, that you can email to me. I really enjoy receiving them. And I will catch you in the next episode. Thank you. Mm -hmm.